Before I start this episode of the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast, I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Bob for helping write the script and to a very special boy for helping find the sound effects. If you would like to say thank you to the special boy, search YouTube for Maths with Caleb. Thank you. Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. I'm not one to reveal too much about my personal life. But I think there are some lessons from my life, from my multiple decades on the earth, that I can offer to show you that life is what you make it. The lesson I want to teach you in this episode is that that it's better to look on the bright side of life, and that a positive attitude can be of great benefit when things get sticky. And the story I'm going to convey that through is about the week in which I first met my father-in-law. And everything I'm about to tell you is a true story. Back in the early 2000s, my now wife and I had been dating for about a year when we decided we wanted to get married. And to each other, funnily enough. However, there was always coming a time when I was going to have to make it official and meet the dad. By the time I got engaged to my fiancé, my prospective mum-in-law and I had gotten to know each other pretty well because she had come to Australia somewhat frequently to spend time with her daughter, my fiancé, in Australia. You see, my wife is from Indonesia. My wife came to Australia to study after she finished high school. She graduated from uni. She obtained her Australian permanent residency. So whatever happened to her in her life, she had that option to be in either Indonesia or Australia, depending on how things went. Despite the language barrier, between my fiancé being the translator and me slowly picking up Mandarin Chinese, I think I did enough for my mum-in-law to not completely reject the relationship. But the biggest hurdle was there to come, my father-in-law. Before I met my father-in-law, I had spoken on the phone to him maybe once or twice, but always very fleeting, as his English isn't crash hot, and neither were my non-English language abilities. And this was in the days before Skype, before Zoom, before WhatsApp. The way my wife would call back home would be through overseas calling credits. This is where you buy a voucher from a news agency or a phone shop that has a certain amount of value on it. You then call a particular local phone number from your phone. And once you follow the prompts, you then dial the overseas phone number, 
which then decrements the value on the voucher until the voucher runs out, with some overseas destinations being cheaper than others depending on the provider. So the conversations between me and my dad-in-law were always fleeting because when you mix different cultures, different languages, the adage of time is money, and with cheap providers come cheap phone lines, does not for great relationship building make. I had what I would call an acquaintance with my dad-in-law, but if I was going to marry the eldest daughter, I needed a step up, and going to Indonesia personally was that step. To make things particularly interesting, two weeks before we were about to depart, the Bali bombings happened. For those not familiar, on the 12th of October in 2002, 202 people were killed when multiple bombs were set off in the nightclub district of Kuta, a town in Bali, Indonesia, as well as in the US consulate nearby. Three members of an Islamic terrorist group were charged, found guilty, and executed for their part in the crimes. But as I've come to realise, in, in, in a somewhat ironic twist, that going to Indonesia just after a terrorist attack is actually the safest time to go. Because for weeks and weeks after a terrorist attack, the security forces are desperate to stop another attack happening. So basically every public place you go to, your car will be swept and you will be metal detected. I actually barely felt safer. And this is made true, especially because the second time I went to Indi- the second time I went to Indonesia was just after the Marriott hotel bombing in 2003. And again, I'd never felt safer. So anyway, the, the big day comes. We, we jump on the Garuda Indonesia flight, we land in Jakarta, uh, awkward hellos and hugs all around, walk towards a car with our luggage. It's pouring down with torrential rain. And that spells trouble, because there are two things that I soon found out that Jakarta was world famous for. Traffic jams, and widespread flooding. And on this night, I got to experience firsthand how suited they are to each other. What is, on the old Google Maps, a 20 minute, 25 kilometer car trip, on this night took nearly two hours. Welcome to Jakarta, son. Anyway, we got to my in-laws place safely. Um, a couple of days pass. My my body slowly adjusts to the three-hour time difference. Slowly adjusts to the searing humidity. Slowly adjusts to the different types of food on offer. And yes, I actually did bring a jar of Vegemite for emergencies. But one thing it didn't adjust for was being woken up at 4-something-a.m. by the first local mosque performing Fajr, the first, the first Islamic prayer of the day, followed by the second local mosque performing Fajr. Then the third. And I actually think there was a fourth and fifth somewhere in there as well. I, I, it's a bit like living near an airport, I suppose. 
The, the first few times a plane rattles your house, it's unnerving, but after a while you get used to it. But here I am, a, a white Christian in an Asian Muslim country, and this is when I was still a believer back then. So I'm a white Christian in an Asian Muslim country, far from home, wondering what my life had become as the incessant noise of Arabic prayers competed for headspace with my self-pity. And little did I realise that my first faux pas was just around the corner. My in-laws are somewhat conservative, both socially and financially. They're not filthy, stinking rich, and they live modestly to reflect both their wealth and their culture. But they, they definitely had what they needed, and they were able to provide for their three children, my dad-in-law being very industrious in his transport managerial work. But what this meant was their house only had two bedrooms, and there was no way I was sleeping in the same one as my fiance. So in, in the space of 24 hours, my prospective father-in-law had gone from a voice on the phone to airport pickup man to sleeping companion. So a few nights in, and, and I'm having this vivid dream. I, I don't remember the background to it, but the only part that matters was that my father-in-law was falling over. And I was in the best position to save him from serious harm. So what does any prospective good Samaritan do when he sees someone about to fall over? They reach out and grab the person to pull them back from danger. Three seconds later, my dad-in-law was woken up by my vice-like grip on his arm. And he, in turn, has then promptly woken me up, asking me if I'm okay with one of the most genuine looks of concern I've ever seen. Anyway, I eventually go back to bed, and by the time I got up for breakfast that day, my dad-in-law had already left for work, which left me, my fiancé, and my mum-in-law by ourselves, by ourselves around the breakfast table. So, so the question starts, Damien, why did you grab my dad last night? He was falling and I was trying to rescue him. How? He was in bed. Not in the dream I was having. After these sentences was a long period of translation between my fiancé and her mum. And I was observing the body language of my mum-in-law as my fiancé was relaying the story. Uh, as my wife continued, the, the smirk on their faces gets bigger and bigger and bigger and ends in uproarious laughter and glances my way like I'm some sort of affable goof. And maybe I am. A few more days after this came my next challenge. The country road trip from hell. Around this time, my mum-in-law was active in the leadership of a Methodist church. And they were having a, a leadership seminar in a hotel in a town up in the mountains, about 80 kilometers out of Jakarta. The idea we had was that during the day, me, my fiance, and my dad and sister-in-law would enjoy the countryside while my mum-in-law was doing the hard work seminaring or whatever it is they do in church seminars. Anyway, that was the plan. Until someone's stomach could handle neither the food nor the water anymore. Yes, food poisoning. I knew something was up. Because on our first night at the hotel, 
I felt queasy and I had to use the toilet numerous times. Though by the time the sunrise came the next day, and we were ready to head out, and my dad-in-law was warming the car up, and I'm in the front seat all keen and enthusiastic, it was then that it really hit me, if you know what I'm getting at. A quick bit of thinking saved the interior of my dad-in-law's Honda, but not much could be done about the footpath that now had the undigested contents of my stomach splashed all over it. There goes the plans for the day. So back to my hotel room I go, change into my pyjamas, feel miserable, uh, apologise profusely in between bursts of defecating profusely. My family then left me alone to do these five things. One, use the toilet. Two, shiver under numerous blankets. Three, drift in and out of sleep. Four, look at the arrow on the ceiling pointing to Mecca. And five, listen to the TV that had been turned on and dialed to the only English language TV channel available, MTV. Having said that, MTV had some local content as well, so it's not it's not like it was a direct feed from the US. And yes, this was back this was back when the M in MTV stood for music, as in music TV. Like MTV actually played music once upon a time. Now it was around this time that the song Feel by Robbie Williams had just come out. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I like the song, I like the video clip. Um, it must have been popular for a reason. But I, I think MTV playing it at least six times in, in a seven-hour time span was, was a teensy bit over the top. But putting that song on high rotation had one very unintended consequence. My brain had decided to connect that song to the nausea I felt, to the point that three months later, back in Australia, I was I was at a work function, and that iconic piano opening the feel starts playing over the restaurant loudspeaker. Damien, what's wrong? Why do you suddenly look so pale? Are you okay? Was was the question from my workmate standing there in front of me. And here I am, struggling to tell my brain that no, we're not in Indonesia, and no, we're not shivering under half a dozen blankets. It's okay. But is that the end of the adventure? Not by a long shot, sunshine. By the time the next morning came around, after I had consumed enough electrolyte drink to warrant getting shares in Otsuka Pharmaceutical, it was time to return home. By this stage, I'd become famous for, one, being the only white guy in the hotel, and two, not being able to keep the contents in my stomach. On, on the way back, we, as in the non-Norseous faction of my family, decided we should experience Taman Safari, a drive-through safari that ends with a theme park. Because what better way to relieve the feeling of nausea then with a long, slow drive through a wildlife park famous for, and I'm not making this up, 
hominid primate smoking cigarettes. I even have a photo of the sign warning people not to hand cigarettes over. Now, by this stage, yes, I was feeling good enough to go out, but that doesn't mean my body was back to full steam. After, after the safari came time for the theme park, and there were two things I remember most about this theme park experience. One, needing to use the toilet, and two, being volunteered to be carried by elephants. Now, note how I said I needed to use the toilet and not say that I actually did use it. There are two very prescient reasons for that. One, public toilets in Indonesia ain't nothing like Western toilets. Toilet paper? Ain't nobody got time for that. A seat? Ain't nobody got time for that. Proper lighting and ventilation? Ain't nobody got time for that. So yes, the only public toilet in my immediate and walkable proximity was, at this stage, the dirtiest, smelliest, and darkest public waste facility I'd ever encountered in my life. And the second reason? It was a squat toilet. I wasn't thoroughly Asianized at this stage, and as cramped and painful as my bowels were, being forced to use a squat toilet was, was definitely a bridge too far. Damien, I thought you needed to go to the toilet? My fiancé asked as I met back up with her. Uh, it's good, I'll, I'll hold on, was my sheepish reply. Now, uh, what about those elephants, you ask? Well, when I met back with my fiancé and her family, it was time for the elephant show. The elephants did tricks, my stomach did flips, and it's quite possible my underwear was ripped, which makes the next part even worse. At the end of the elephant show, the lady MC was saying something that I couldn't quite understand. She looked quite animated as she was saying it, but the words just weren't registering for me. What's she saying? I said to my fiancé. She's asking for volunteers. And it was about this time that I'd come to regret my Australian larrikinism. You see, in Australia, when a stage show asks for volunteers, you normally offer up your partner or your mate, frequently against their will, and the host on the stage sometimes even accepts that reluctant offer. So, why not try it in Indonesia? What's the worst thing that could happen? It turns out that in, in Indonesia, they tend to pick the person doing the volunteering as opposed to the person that person is trying to volunteer. You remember just before how I mentioned my underwear was not in optimum condition? and my stomach was still in discomfort? Now, add an elephant stunt where you're being seated across two elephant trunks into the mix, and the worst holiday of my adult life had just gotten worse. Eventually, it was time to go. I'm surprised my stomach held on, but the need to use an actual proper toilet was creeping up. And let me tell you, not even the nearest Kentucky Fried Chicken outlet on the way back could provide the goods. We tried, I bailed. Theirs was the second worst toilets I'd ever encountered thus far in my adult life. I did not want a detour to drive around the presidential palace in Bogor, south of Jakarta. Ain't nobody got time for that. 
I definitely didn't want a detour to drive around the National Monument Park in the middle of Jakarta. There was only one place I wanted to go. It was a place that didn't cost any money to enter. It wasn't fancy. There were no pools or massages on offer. But it had awesome home-cooked meals, and it was the one place I knew I could put myself at ease to release the gastrointestinal pressure that had been building up for the last 12 hours. If relief had a face, it was mine as I was sitting on that toilet in a modest two-bedroom home in northwestern Jakarta. The story does have a happy ending. We got married less than a year after these events. My dad-in-law and I are very comfortable with each other. And my wife and I are still married almost 20 years and two kids later. So the lesson I want to convey to you is that you can look at setbacks and inconveniences in one of two ways. Either sit and moan that the universe hates you, or roll with the punches, use your smarts and wit, and make the best out of a situation. And in my case, have a laugh at yourself as well. Here I was, a white Christian man in an Asian Muslim country, looking to marry the eldest daughter of a Chinese family. I couldn't speak their language properly. I was bombarded by the foreignness of the culture, and I literally couldn't keep my stomach down and at the most inconvenient time. But I made it work. My character shone through. I held on. So, when you have setbacks and inconveniences, think, does the universe hate you? Or are you about to make podcast comedy gold? If you want more thought-provoking content, head over to my blog at www.tallfriendlyatheistdad.com That's all one word, tallfriendlyatheistdad.com Or find me on Twitter at TFADad. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.